So, uh, today we're wrapping up uh, chapter 14 of Matthew, and uh, it's, been a, it's been a journey. Matthew's one of those books for us that's been really amazing. Um, uh, in chapters 5, 6, and 7, if you'll remember, we were, we were learning on the Sermon on the Mount, and that was great, great teachings. Jesus literally explaining this new kingdom, this new kingdom that he was ushering in, and what it would look like. Not only that, but how followers of Jesus uh, would live should live and love and pray. Then we move into chapters 8 and 9, and we see Jesus moving compassionately among the outsiders and the outcasts and the insiders, and he's healing, he's performing miracles, and, and uh, coming, I mean, really making a really statement. Disciples have seen Jesus heal a man with leprosy. Um, they've seen him heal a citizen chariot servant. They've seen him heal Peter's very own mother-in-law. They've seen him calm a huge storm, restore two demon-possessed men. They've heard Jesus tell a paralyzed man that his sins were forgiven. And then healed him. And then watched him raise a dead girl. They watched a woman who had been suffering bleeding simply reach out in faith and touch his cloak and be healed. And they saw him heal a blind man and a mute man. And then in chapter 13, we moved and Jesus started teaching in parables. You know, um, these are stories that he told so that those that were attuned to the new kingdom. Uh, who had ears to hear, they would be able to discern. But those uh, who had heart, hearts would not. And so far in chapter 14, we've seen or heard John, John the Baptist is beheaded. Jesus has fed the 5,000 men, which we found out could be somewhere between 10 and 20,000 actual human lives, human beings, with two fish and five loaves, and had 12 baskets of leftovers. Uh, and today we're going to read about Jesus walking on the water. Whether or not you grew up in church, uh, you've heard this story. I think, I don't think there's anybody in here, whether you attended church or church is the, this is a new thing for you. You just walk in and don't, can't believe you're here. Uh, you've heard Jesus walking on the water, at least made reference to it. Have you guys heard or seen that, that uh, illusionist Chris Angel? Anybody? Okay, that is sick, but... Um, so he does this walking on water thing, but it's in very much a controlled environment. It's very much an illusion. I don't think I don't think anybody makes any bones about that. That he's in a, in a pool uh, where it's controlled, and he's appearing to walk on water. It's a very cool illusion and a very uh, good thing. But here's Jesus in the Sea of Galilee, no props, no controlled environments, no illusions, and he's literally there walking on water. Um, and here you got a boat full of disciples. Who are the only witnesses to this? That's, I, thought, I find it kind of funny that Jesus withdrew, took, took his uh, disciples, sent them up, and then appeared only to them to do one of his greatest and most well-known miracles. Um, and so uh, let's pray real quick, and then we'll read this story together. It'll be on the screen behind me. Uh, Father, just, uh, just come to you today and ask you if you would uh, be here with us. Uh, thank you. Um, Father, as we open your word, Father, I pray that, um, that this speaks to us as it does. Um, I, I pray that distractions are removed. I pray that, that anything that's, that's, that's here to confuse, Father, we pray that that would be, uh, that you would control that, that there would be no confusion, that your word would come through, that we would uh, know your heart better when we get here today. It's your son's name we pray. Okay, so verse 22. I like to go put my gum on here. 
So immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd, after uh, sorry, while he dismissed the crowd, after he dismissed them, he went to the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because the wind was against him. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come out on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down on the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And then they climbed in the boat, and the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So the first point um, that kind of jumped out, me just walking through this passage, is, is that Jesus sent his disciples off. He made them leave while he went up to the mountainside to pray. Um, I think the thing is here is that Jesus... And sending them away into the boat wants a long time with God. I think he just finished feeding 5,000. I think he's wanting to recharge. This is something Jesus did throughout his life. You know, he pulled away from the distractions. He let all the disciples go. He would just simply get away and, and spend some time with God. And, you know, I love our Sunday mornings. I love being here. I love worshiping. I love hearing people teach. I love um, just everybody in the room, I love this this environment, but I, there's something about, there's something recharging, and something awesome about the alone time we get with God. And I think Jesus is doing this not only as encouragement, it's kind of instruction. Silently instructing us to pull away, eliminate the distractions, get along with God, and uh, make Him a priority. Also, I think Jesus was setting up the boys, you know? I think Jesus has gotten some of that. I don't think Jesus did stuff on accident. I think He's intentionally. Uh, getting away, sending the guys out, and he's wanting to really put a stamp on them, an exclamation point on, on the day that they've had. You know, they're just a few hours remaining, but we're removed from this huge miracle of, of feeding 5,000 plus with two loaves and, and two fishes and five loaves. And he's really wanting to them to just to drill this home, that this was a big deal. And Jesus here, um, he knew this kingdom was going to be ushered in by these 12 guys that he was that he was pouring into, right? This new kingdom that he's coming, he's taught them, he's done miracles for, he's teaching them parables about, he's talking about new kingdom. He knows these guys, these 12 guys are the ones who are going to bring this to the world. And their testimony and belief would be critical. Their testimony would be critical. Um, and he could not afford that the guys he was entrusting with this new kingdom to totally miss it. So he wants them on that boat, right? Needs him on that boat. Uh, this story of Jesus walking on the water, like I said, is, is recorded in three of the four uh, synoptic gospels. And Mark's account tells us this: tells us the disciples didn't understand the loaves and fishes, and their hearts were hardened. That said in this story, that their hearts were hardened. One of the commentaries that I read said this: that they were almost numb. They were almost numb to the fact of the magnitude of the loaves and fishes. You know, they'd seen it all, like that list we just ran down a minute ago. I've seen, I've seen heal people, I've seen raise people, I've seen do this, I've seen do that. He's teaching in parables, all this stuff. We just we just fed 5,000 people. Well, um, you know, 
That's just it's no big deal. Um, but but three of the four uh, gospel writers who wrote this about about walking on the water were in the boat. You know, think about that. They're actually in the boat. Uh, something amazing, I think, is about to happen uh, in the boat. Uh, it's going to have just that punch, an exclamation point to the story of the loaves and fishes. And maybe, maybe this is like us when we start, when we, you know, we come to God in prayer. Uh, we'll, we'll ask Him for, for miracles, we'll ask Him for things and, and uh, for blessing or whatever. And when it comes through, we're quick to turn back, you know. We forget. We forget that we were in a big pickle that God delivers. We forget about our health or something. We, you know, there's, there, there's times. Uh, distractions in life and stuff like that just kind of weighs on us. We totally forget about the blessing and the deliverance that he's given us from those. Um, maybe we've had uh, Jesus show up over and over and over again in our lives and we've become so immune to it almost. He's blessed us so much that we've become told to it. Maybe he's never shown up in our lives at all. Maybe we've never seen it. We've, we've written it off as karma or circumstance or just luck. Um, regardless, we might become dull to the fact that God is God of the universe. He holds everything in his hand. He's mighty to save and wants to restore us and redeem us and make himself known to us. You know, for the disciples, this was more this was just a few hours after the fact that they just fed five thousand people with two loaves, two fishes and five loaves, and they were dull to the fact that they truly witnessed witness one of God's great miracles. To me, this is fairly representative of the church today. Um, not necessarily us. But other churches, or actually, actually, it's representative of me. If I'm going to be real honest with you, you know, I've seen this over, over and over again in my life. So I'm going to, I'm going to assume that you're sitting there would probably agree with me. Um, we come to, we come to a church on, on service on a Sunday morning. We'll sing songs to him. We'll pray to him. We will uh, serve him, doing great stuff out in the community over and over and over again. And we study the Bible, we go to restore groups, we'll, we'll lead a ministry if possible, proclaim that we follow Jesus, and uh, that say that Jesus is God, and we to repeat, you get the idea. You know, we, we, we kind of catch ourselves in that check in the box thing, you know? Um, but I think that the, the, the problem is that with that stuff is, is that we can become dull to his voice and we can't hear it. I think we can become dull to his movement, movement and we don't follow him. And I think we can become dull to the true miracles that he is performing daily in our lives that we're hearing about, but we're going to write off his circumstance harmony or just love. Um, Jesus needs his disciples to be in. Okay? This story, he needs them like him in. Um, he needs them paying attention. He needs them watching for miracles. He needs them hearing his voice and watching his movements and giving him glory. Question that I asked over myself over and over again this week was, "Where's my heart broken? Where's my blind spot? Where am I not seeing? Where am I not seeing Christ?" That's what I think Jesus was doing when He sent His disciples in the boat. He wanted their full attention. I find that, like I said, most of what He did was on purpose. I don't think it was just a suggestion. Of, hey, you got my own book. No, I think He sent them there on purpose. Knew they'd go out to the Sea of Galilee, knew that the wind would come, and knew that they'd be physically, emotionally exhausted in this boat, and then he would come. I think if I was writing the gospel according to Trey, without this walking on water moment, I might have been inclined to 
tall figure of 5,000. We had lunch. You know, it might have not have been that big of a deal. Um, but I think God intentionally gets their attention walking on the waters. According to some scholars, the disciples were three or four miles offshore. It was a rough night, a windy night, and therefore the disciples weren't getting very far. Remember back when we talked about this in chapter 8 of Matthew, there was no, there was no, they're in the boat again, but there was no storm this time. The disciples weren't necessarily fearing for their lives, but they were exhausted. But remember in chapter 8, after they woke Jesus and they told him to, that Jesus was going to die, it's supposed to go down, the storm's too great. What did Jesus say? Remember? Peace be still, and the water's just, just went totally, totally calm. And if you were the disciples said, Who is this? Who is this that even the wind and waves obey it? And now here comes Jesus. They're back in the boat, back in 14 now. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. And they don't recognize him. They don't recognize Jesus. What do you think it is that Jesus, they didn't recognize Jesus? What? No. No. Totally. That's why you let's go. Why else? Anybody else think of why they might not have recognized Jesus? What's that? Fear blind. Fear blind you. Yeah. They're definitely afraid. They blind you. What else? Anybody else? Yeah, they're still they're still not convinced that this is God. They're still not convinced, not convinced of the divine nature. Anybody else? I went simple on this, y'all. When I was go ahead. Yeah, I mean the storms the storms gonna end. Jesus wasn't where we left it. You know? I mean that's just that's where that's where I went with it. I just went so so y'all went great, y'all went theological. I just went. Well, he ain't where I left him. And look, here he comes. Um, he wasn't, he was out of place, right? It's just, this doesn't, like, it relates to walking on water. It's out of place. Um, I think about this too as disciples of Jesus. We're disciples of Jesus, right? As we're followers of Christ. Do we always recognize Jesus? Do we always see him at work? Um, have we heard him? Have we felt him navigating in interpersonal relationships yet we get ignored? If this is God's universe, we better not be ignoring it, right? But we do. We ignore it because it's either it's something else. Does he prompt us? Or do we see him moving somewhere and yet we, 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 uh, we're scared to get involved? Or what about when we're on vacation? You ever hear from God on vacation? Take a vacation from God? Or do we not expect it anywhere but where we left? Do we not expect it anywhere but like it? Yeah. Is Jesus somewhere he's not supposed to be? Is he out of place? But then what what here's the encouragement? What does Jesus say to them? When they're scared of him, they've seen him, they're frightened, what does Jesus say? passage. Take courage. Do not be afraid. What does he say then? Remember? Huh? 
It is I. It's very, very distinct difference in the two because the I that he, he says here, when he says it is I, he's saying it is I am. The same word that he uses when he reveals himself to Moses, he uses in this passage. He says, take courage. It is I am. It is God. It is Yahweh standing in front of you on this water. It is God. And uh, there's two ways, really, that Jesus proclaims his divinity right here. He's, he's in two Displays it without a single word by walking on water. Because back in Job uh, 9 8, it tells us that only God can walk on water. Only God can walk on water. And to take her to this island. You know, and then old ready to shoot bang, Peter, he's ready to go, right? He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out of the boat and, and let me walk on the water with you, right? And what did Jesus say? He said, Come. Read Peter gets out of the boat, walks toward Jesus. I mean, talk about faith. Talk about faith. It says, get out of the boat. Get out of the boat in faith and walk on water with Jesus. But then he saw what happened. Distractions come, right? He saw the wind and the waves. Distractions are coming at him hard and fast. And he loses focus. He loses sight of Jesus, I guess. He just becomes afraid. He starts sinking, right? He calls out to Jesus. Jesus saved him. And so Jesus does what Jesus does. He reaches out Talk about faith and walk on water. But notice something with me, and I just saw this yesterday. It's the first time I've never heard this or seen it before in Scripture. And I may be totally off my rocket. So y'all can drill into this if you want to. Peter said, If it's you, Lord, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come, right? You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, Come to me. The reason why that took up, the reason why I thought about that was because of the, the personal invitation that Jesus gave over and over again. When he was calling forth Lazarus from the grave, when he called forth the boy, he said, Lazarus, come forth, and he raised him from the dead. When the boy, uh, when the young man, widow's son died, he said, Young man, I say you get up. There was always a personal invitation. But I think Jesus was saying, Come, just come. And so my mind went to this place where he's just inviting everybody in the boat to come on. You want to walk on the water? You want to have if you've got faith, come walk on the water with me, right? Um, I think that if James or John would have stepped out in the water, they would walk just like Peter did. There's no mention of that or anywhere in history of anybody else stepping out and walking on the water. But my faith tells me that if Jesus calls me, Walk on the walk water, and we respond. He's not going to let us do that. Okay, I got a gratuitous football story coming back to my sermon. I always do this, and it's always for Jerry. Where are you, Jerry? Okay. Um, so, when I was in high school, senior year, I probably got extra plays, more playing time than most anybody else because uh, whenever anybody got hurt on our team or somebody did a bonehead play, I got a coach looking around. I, he had the same feeling, and you know, I played for him for a few years, so I know him. He starts looking around for who's going to take this place, right? He's looking around, and, and we lock eyes, and, and he says, Pruitt, get in there. I'm going to say, so I go in there and run do whatever. Well, one day, it's a senior season, the first half of the kicker gets hurt, right? The kicker gets hurt. And nobody ever has a backup kicker in high school because it's just a kicker. They never get hurt. Sorry if you were a kicker, but they don't have a kicker. So, First thing, first thing goes, uh, kicker's down, half time, coach goes, can you kick? 
I'm like, sure, I can get it. And uh, so he goes, get in there. First, kick off the second. It's hard. You kick off, kick it as deep as you can. All right, coach, got And kickoff team was the team that I had played. So it was great. I got another play. Um, so I'm there. Kick is the ugliest kick in the history of high school football. I think it never got more than about three or four feet high. Went straight in the sideline. And, you know, there's four. Hit the cheerleaders. There's four. When I'm coming right off the field, there's a penalty on that. Kicked out of bounds. You know, like, why? I come off the field. The coach goes, Bro, I thought you said you could kick. He goes, I thought I could. He goes, You thought wrong. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess that was kind of the Peter in me that just wanted, you know, just wanted so bad to just step out of the boat. Do whatever to whatever whatever play was available for me to be in there. That's, you know, I was at least going to go to try. Right? I, wonder, I wonder if it ever even occurred to the other disciples. As they're sitting there in the boat, Jesus says no. Peter's the one that questions Jesus. Jesus then says no. I wonder if I've ever even occurred to them that you should look at Peter. He said no. Maybe we should go. I don't know. Um, oh, I should have done it. So, or you think you think maybe they were in the boat going, oh, look, Peter's sinking. Why are you sinking? I don't know. Here's another thing. I'll read over in Mark, because uh, they have kind of parallel uh, writings about the same story. And Peter supposedly wrote Mark, right? Um, but there was no mention of the walking on the water. That's not weird. Maybe. I don't know if he's embarrassed by it, or maybe, you know, maybe one of the other guys bring it up. Or, I <laughs> but have you, ever, have you ever had that sense of calling in your life. Husbands and wives, this is for you, kind of. Uh, husbands and wives, like a husband is his calling, he's feeling it deeply, he's ready to go, but the wife's not on board. You know? um, Jenny and I wrestled with this before because we feel like as, as a very couple, the two become one. I think supernaturally God gets involved in that. I think where he, where he calls one, will also call the other. Um, so if you find yourself in that position, just wait. I think, I think it, Know for sure you're just to break through the Because here's what's happening. Happen. I think Jesus invites us all to his mission. I think the particulars are really up to us, specifically how we're best, maybe where we're coming from, our experiences that we've had in life. I think how we express those is up to us. I think God will enhance those in us, but I think he calls us all the time. Um, come join me in this mission. So we got hearing his voice, watching for his movements, willing to get out of the boat. Henry Blackaby, anybody remember him? Old guys in the room? Larry King, I know you know Henry Blackaby. You know? Old Baptist dude, okay. Oh, don't do this right here. Well, I don't. Um, he said this, he said, find out wherever God's at work and join me there. That was just one of, that's always been one of those profound things to me. He said, look up and look around you. See where God's moving, just join him. Why do we not respond sometimes? Why do we not get out of the boat? Fear of the unknown is crippling. Fear of the unknown is crippling. Yeah. We've got to sing that song, right? Um what else? Fear of the unknown is crippling. What else? Why wouldn't we get out of the boat? 
safe in the boat? I think we're safe in the boat, right? Comfortable. What if God's called you out of the boat? Possibly may not be safe anymore. Huh? Might have to change. We're afraid of change. Change bothers us or scares us. Fear of failure. Fear of failure. People don't want to be themselves, right?
including those who've always been excluded, including those not good enough to come inside the walls or courts of the synagogue, healing the sick, the lame, the blind, restoring those with leprosy so that they would be welcomed back into the community, which we so easily take for granted. But then he brings it back to the boat. Who I found reading, reading the context of this, a lot of people think the boat represents church. Jesus wants us in the boat, in community, with other believers. He wants to tell you, inside of you are loved, I care for you, and want to lose you, but you must hear my voice. You must respond to my call. And extend so much grace as we move from this law that rules to being ruled by love that frees and gives life. You know, all of us in this room this. If there's a spirit of oppression and exclusion and condemnation and judgment that we hear, that's not the kingdom of Jesus proclaiming that. He said in Luke, Luke uh, Jesus was quoting Isaiah when he said, The spirit of the Lord, sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the Lord. He sent me to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. This is good news. This is not exclusive. This is not oppressive. This is not the beginning. Listen to the outsiders now, guys. Jesus loves you. He loves you and just fed you in the previous story. He is not moved by compassion for your most primal and physical basic need. He's willing to feed you, but he's also willing to touch you. He's also willing to heal you, restore you, even save you. You have to be willing to move toward them. What this doesn't mean is you don't have to have all your crap together. What this doesn't mean is you don't have to look a certain way or do certain things or have a certain understanding of scriptures. No, he meets outsiders and outcasts where they are. Listen to me, those of you who be so bold as to call yourself insiders, Jesus wants us to remember that we too were once outsiders and outcasts. And just as he loved us in our brokenness, we are to love others. But if you're an outcast or an outsider, Jesus' whole mission is for you. But he also loves his insiders so much so that he wouldn't allow us to dull to his voice or to his movement, to his call. So that's kind of